Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. Man, I could go through Revelation for years and still not savor everything that there is. But in our week, as we focus on worship and as we prepare our hearts to start the Gospel of Luke this weekend, how exciting is that? Man, if you've been thinking about a time where you want to invite a friend to come and see Jesus, come and join us at church, this is the ideal time to do that, okay? And if you're watching this in conjunction with the Redemption Church, what I think you're watching this on Friday, that means you've got a couple of days, so send out the text, okay? Offer to take them, you know, out to lunch after church or something like that, but just, man, uh, bring them in. This is great. This is Luke. It's, it's like Luke's letter to his skeptical friend. And that's the title of the series, Dear Skeptical Friend. So bring your skeptical friend. It doesn't get any easier than this, man. Come and see evangelism is as easy as it gets. Okay? This is Romans chapter 12. And I have referred to it, I think, three times this week in our devotions. There's a reason for that. I believe that Romans chapter 12 holds an incredibly, incredibly vital place in all of ecclesiology, like just the study of the church. And it's because Romans chapter 12 sits atop a mountain of theology, particularly soteriology. In the book of Romans, which if you want to see uh, a verse-by-verse -verse teaching on Romans, the series on, our, on, on JCM's YouTube channel is titled, How Christians Are Made. Um, God chose Israel so that now... Because of Jesus, Gentiles can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Right, that's like my summation of like, the whole of this massive, intricate, exquisite, and beautiful and transformative book. In chapter one, we just begin with like cosmology and epistemology, just the origins of everything and belief itself. The, the ultimate example of just the, the, the moral argument for God, uh, drawing archetypally from Sodom and Gomorrah, for what happens when, you know, we just exchange the truth of God for a lie, which like every, every late stage culture has ever done. And, and what we're trying really hard to do as America right now. And then there's this, there, there are, there are nine chapters of a beautiful story about God making a covenant with Abraham and fulfilling it. And uh, we can see teachings along the way about our utter depravity. Not one of us is righteous, not even one. Uh, I mean, and we could see, uh, we could see teachings about our, uh, our paradoxical nature as Christians for the time being awaiting glorification where we have the Spirit of God living right here within us. But then we also have this sinful nature that's right there too when we want to do what is good. And we could see God's sovereignty over time coming up as, a, as an important theme in, in Romans chapter 8. And then in Romans chapter 9, it's about how God chose Israel. The descendants of Jacob are God's elect over those of his twin brother, Esau. It is God's prerogative. It's his right to say, I will love the descendants of this twin and despise the descendants of this twin. And who are you and I to talk back to God? Who are you, Pharaoh, to talk back to God? The whole That whole nation came about because God hardened Pharaoh's heart and, uh, and four out of the ten plagues of Egypt, literally decimating, as in the prefix deci, 
you know, the, the 10 plagues of Egypt, God brought about a nation from their slaves and then just favored them and just exhibited his loving kindness and then exhibited through the descendants of Esau his wrath. And that's his right. He's the potter. We are the clay. And who are you to talk back to God? How can you say to him, how can you make me like this? But who can find fault with him? And then in Romans chapter 10, Paul just exquisite, it expresses the angst in his heart, how he would even be willing to forego his own salvation if it meant that his fellow Jews could be saved. And we see in Romans chapters 9 and 10 that not everybody who's descended from Israel is Israel. It's about a covenant that God made. And in Romans chapter 10 is the only if-then statement in all of Scripture about salvation. So why I've said it in every sermon I've ever preached. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is possible only by the Holy Spirit of God. See 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then chapter 11 is a way of harmonizing what we've seen in chapters 9 and 10. Chapter 9 is all about God's election of Israel. Chapter 10 is about Joel chapter 2. It's about Acts chapter 2, it's, it's about how everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's about the Gentile nations and about those who haven't been reached, how they can't call upon the God they've not believed in. They can't believe unless they hear. They can't hear unless someone preaches. They can't preach unless they're sent. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. It's a prophecy in Isaiah. And when we look at the election of Israel in Romans chapter 9, and the the now like the eligibility of, uh, of, of Gentiles in a new covenant to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, the two are harmonized in the metaphor of the chosen vine of Israel and the engrafted branches of the Gentiles. That's Romans chapter 11. The very first word of, Revel of, of Romans 12 is, therefore. And then what follows in Romans 12 is a black diamond slope of rapid fire practical application. It was not just a doctoral dissertation that no one's ever going to read. It was all for a reason. And that reason is expressed perfectly in chapter 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters... In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Wow. All right, we're going to delve into more uh, uh, tomorrow, but I want to I want to zoom in on these first couple of verses. Okay, the, I've already given a flyover of what the therefore is. And if you want to hear a verse-by-verse -verse exposition, you can find the Book of Romans uh, on JCM's YouTube channel. Brothers and sisters, okay, it speaks to the to the the spiritual family of God. This is also why you worship corporately. You worship with others. It is a communal activity. Get it? Communion. All right, we are one together. And we can be made one with God. Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. Okay, this is how Paul interprets the events of, 
uh, the, the, this, this mountain of theology in chapters 1 through 11. It's the mercy of God. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now here in the New Covenant, what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 has come absolutely true. We no longer worship. The time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will not worship God the Father in Samaria or in Jerusalem, but true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That means like right there where you are. This is a spiritual act of worship as opposed to a physical act of worship. This is your true worship, is you offering yourself as a sacrifice to God. But do you see the do you, do you see the paradoxical nature of these two words coupled together? Living sacrifice. I mean, sacrifices tend to not survive being sacrificed, right? And that's what we're called to be. And boom, that's who Jesus is. He is the sacrifice for the sins of all who believe in him. And he is alive. We're called to be Christ-like. Sacrifices who get to live. We share in his burial and baptism. We share in his resurrection and baptism. That was Romans chapter 3 and chapter 6. And now we are like Christ again as living sacrifices. Holy, meaning we're set apart. Pleasing to God. Man, what, a, what an aim for one's life. This is your true worship. We're not like everybody else, okay? If you, if you strive to conflate Christianity with the world, you make it indistinctive, you rob it of its truth. Don't conform to this age, okay? Don't adapt your theology to fit the moral trend du jour. Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I've seen this happen and it's beautiful to see someone who's been running from God for their whole lives and then the Holy Spirit of God just rushes in and they experience true worship. They're no longer conformed to the age, but then for them, it's not like, it's, it's not like achieving what, what, it's not like achieving nirvana. It's not like an intellectual act of ascent. It's not like solving a Rubik's cube for the first time it's, it's like being born again, <laughs> go figure, and their minds are made brand new. And it's something exquisite to behold. Having been absolutely forgiven, they can absolutely forgive. Their minds are new. No longer haunted by the specter of an eternal future and ultimate origins. Everything's made new. Knowing now who wrote the authoritative book on everything that is right and everything that is wrong, their epistemology is coherent at last. They don't know everything on their own, but they know the one who does. And the sense of intellectual security that comes from that is phenomenal. You sleep like a sanctified baby because you are one. The renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Okay, God's will, if you want the best example of this, look at heaven. That's where God's will is executed absolutely without giving any jurisdiction to the devil at all, all right? Without giving him any parameters within which he can attack. And this is how we pray. 
Bring your kingdom here. Your kingdom come down here. Your will be done on earth like it's done in heaven. So indeed, the will of God is perfect. It is pleasing. It is good. And you are able to discern it. All right, this is, this is critical. There's never, I don't, think there's, I don't think there's ever a more important time in your life to really worship than when you're on the verge of making a massive life trajectory setting decision. If you need to discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, don't, don't do it the way the world does. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be renewed, transformed in your very mind, offering yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your true worship. And then you'll be able to discern and see how much we need worship you're gonna make a big massive cataclysmic life paradigm setting decision you better not dare make such a decision unless you are worshiping your guts out 24 7 man see how much we need worship